0: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you
1: coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Happy Thursday, everybody. hope you guys are getting through the week. It's winding down. What are you all going to do this weekend? I know. It's almost mean to ask that. It's like, there's a meme that went around and I loved it. And it was like, you know, people asking, what are you doing this weekend? And it was like some busted up Barbie doll with like a cigarette and a drink saying the same thing I do every day. I bless it though. It's kind of where we're at, right? I had a friend ask me that just an hour ago and I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) Like one of the same five things we're trapped, you know, stuck doing happily because I'm all about, you know, following the guidelines right now. But like, geez, <laughs> no one has these interesting weekend stories. And if you do, you're breaking those rules. So shame on you. That's right. Shame, shame, shame. Um, All right. We got a great show planned for you. We're going to wind down your week. We're going to be talking about bisexual erasure. That's right. And how a bi father is making sure that doesn't happen with his new child. And of course, question of the night is up on our Loveline IG page. So weigh in on that. We'll be sliding those DMs. We got a great show. So let's start with some news. Pine Sol. Oh yes, these things are ma- these things matter. When the coronavirus first hit, one of the most Google topics was what can kill the coronavirus, and people were trying to really kind of figure out like what what preventative measures and cleaning products do we need. Well, Pine Sol has been added to the EPA's list of disinfectants that are effective against coronavirus. That's great. Um, And essentially, just this is a little tip. If you go buy those big bottles of high concentrated like Lysol, floor cleaner, or Pine Sol, you can dilute them with water and they will last forever. You only need a couple capfuls in, in a water bottle shake it up with water, and then you can apply that to paper towels, thereby turning basic paper towels or napkins into disinfecting wipes, ones that kill the coronavirus, right? So what I actually did was I took the leftover container of the Lysol wipes, filled it up with a couple scoopfuls of the disinfecting wash like a Pine Saw, filled up the rest with water, and then put a handful of paper towels in there, and now I have more wipes. It lasts forever, that stuff is awesome. So Pine Saw, yes, add that to your shopping list. Also the news the ncaa basketball season is set to open day before thanksgiving so that's some good news ncaa men's and women's basketball season will begin november 25th day before thanksgiving the scheduled tip off date was originally late october yeah maybe jumping the gun pushed back to november 10th and now has been pushed to the november 25th which could get pushed back to december 25th maybe it'll be a christmas thing who knows Anyway, the reason for the pushback was most schools are sending students home for the holiday until January for the winter break. So, basketball students were able to be on campus without fear of COVID flare ups. See how that goes, y'all. I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling great about these returns to school. Also in the news, Hawaii. Yep, that great destination is going to let travelers who test negative bypass quarantine after October 15th. Hawaii Governor David. I can't pronounce his last name, but he announced that starting in mid-October, travelers arriving from out of state can bypass a 14-day requirement of quarantining. They can prove they tested negative for COVID. Travelers have to take the test within 72 hours before their flight arrives to the islands. Um, this is kind of cool, too. They announced a partnership with CVS and Kaiser to be able to test travelers and send results directly to the state upon arrival. Now, you know, famously, Hawaii was one of those places saying, yo, stay out. We don't want you visiting. We don't want you quarantining here. Keep your COVID to yourself. Now, you know, they're welcoming back that tourism. I get it. They got bills to pay. Also, you guys know Dave & Buster's? I don't know if this is a West Coast thing or just East Coast. Popular on the East Coast. Dave & Buster's faces bankruptcy. So uh, Cody Ugly Bar has been closed down. Dave & Buster's. Oh, man. And let's do the pandemic. According to the Wall Street Journal, the company's planning on cutting 1,300 jobs to stay afloat. And um, their revenue dropped 85%. Yo, that's big, right? Also in the news, United Airlines is using, ready, it sounds like a joke, giant robots to coat planes with germ-killing spray. (laughs) What does a giant robot look like? What is a germ-killing spray? United Airlines is now using giant robots to clean the insides of planes. Ah, yes, please. Continue to also do so because the people that clean the planes between use daily are given like 15 to 20 minutes or a half an hour max, not even usually, to clean the entire plane, which basically means just getting rid of garbage. So yeah, can we use these robots all the time? Their new 100-pound germ-killing robot named the Nova Rover is designed to spray antimicrobial chemicals on planes in 10 U.S. airports. Ready? The spray stretches up to 12 feet out of six different nozzles now that's a cleaning beast can i get one of those to come to my home because this place is a lot to keep up on especially with my little fur baby um united airlines says they hope that the use of the new robots will entice people to get back on planes nope ain't gonna do it for me you know why Because you can disinfect that bad boy, and then when all those nasty people climb on afterwards, coughing, eating, not washing their hands, it gets dirty again. If that robot will stay on the flight with me going up and down the aisle spraying everyone every couple minutes, then I'll consider. But until then, it's not safe. I'm sorry. And finally, the top things people eat to comfort themselves during difficult times. Love this. According to a survey... Americans have dealt with the stress of coronavirus with food. I'm here for it. Yes, you are allowed to eat your feelings. Contrary to popular belief, Dr. Chris says. Two in three say they've reverted to eating their favorite childhood comfort foods. Of course. Associations there. It's very soothing to go back to that. Um, most people eat their comfort meals five times a week. That's it. I'm eating mine five times a day. Comfort snacks six times. Okay, so what are the top three? Probably not a shocker. The number one comfort food right now that people are turning to is pizza. 55% of people are going to pizza. I'm all about it. I eat my non-dairy vegan pizza all the time. I make it at home. It's delicious. I make pita pizzas. Get pita, slap on that non-dairy cheese, some sauce, some fake meat, delicious. Number two, not surprising, is hamburgers, 48%. And finally, bump it a bum drum roll, ice cream, 46%. Who doesn't love that ice cream? All right, y'all, question night's up on our Love and IG page. Weighing on that. You are listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and now we're going to go to our next guest, Aluna, whose new debut album, Renaissance, has dropped. Welcome to the show. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How How is your mental health right now through everything that's going on?
2: You know, it's it doesn't have any kind of consistency. Um, you know, with each new crazy that gets introduced, there's all this kind of fanfare and, like, cerebral activity. Like, oh, my God, what does this mean? And then there's these like these dips where everything is blah and you're like, um, okay, there's no escape from this. I have no way to escape from this. I will just go in a different room to my house.
0: (laughs) And that's, that's kind of the way we got to play it these days. You know, I'm still doing um, my clinical practice, but doing telemedicine and I'm kind of explaining that to people. They're saying, why is it that I can't count on a certain mood? And if I wake up feeling one way, I can almost promise I'll be feeling a different way. And it's like, it's kind of just what's going on right now. Right.
2: Yeah, and I think that um, it's a huge learning curve for anyone who hasn't spent how many months (laughs) indoors? Uh, Like, which is, you know, a lot of people. So it's it's like, how do you navigate that space?
0: Well, let's talk about that. So uh, what impact do you think the current times and the self-isolation has had on the creation of your music?
2: Hmm, well, I was very lucky because... Um, the initial kind of COVID time coincided with like mixing and mastering so it was and that was a huge learning curve for me to to really sit down and listen to every single sound and decide how it needs to be tweaked just a tiny bit on the harmonic scale to sound exactly how you want it to, and th- that's so important. It could be, it could mean a song just you don't, no one understands it, or it brings it completely to life. And having the time during COVID um, was has kind of made things like that come into focus and get much much more attention. Uh, and I've really really appreciated that. Um, as for like the getting out of your head, going. Crazy, coming up with new fantastical ideas out of the atmosphere, that is not easy. And I was actually just thinking today um, what sort of older, uh, original practices do I have for my inspiration and creativity that I can pull out the back? And I've started doing that, which is really, really helping.
0: And what what are some of those? Because I think one of the things that's been interesting to me is asking people what new or surprising forms of like coping or self-care have emerged during this time that kind of surprised people. But let's talk about the professional creativity component of that. So what have you been going back to?
2: One of the fundamental parts of my songwriting practice is the stream of consciousness writing. They're called morning pages. And I think I got this from The Artist's Way, which is a pretty um, common, well-known book. Um, and I love that because it always surprises me. So I'll start writing and I'll, I'll kind of get a little exhaustion period after the first paragraph and I'll let myself take a moment and then just carry on. And it's, it's interesting how you can kind of almost mold your mind in these different directions. You can be like, okay, mind, um, go crazy or okay mind like go super negative or like okay mind now that we've done all those things just go completely loopy and <laughs> <laughs> you know at the end of that you throw it all away it feels really good and then you can start writing
0: <laughs> I like starting <laughs> the day that way because I think often we don't realize that whatever we first immerse ourselves in when we start the day could kind of Really be taken forward and people jump right on their phones and you don't know what kind of drama or negativity you're going to encounter. So I love that you're holding the space. It's an honest moment you're writing. Um, so something you said, and this was actually a really funny moment. So I was listening to your music and I was at home and I was doing my thing because, you know, I uh, Get Paid and Warrior right now are on repeat in my home. Okay. And I read the quote that you said, your music is designed to have the same effect at home as it does on a dance floor. And I had that moment where I was like, this is true. Cause I was sitting there like dancing around reading articles about you.
2: Oh, that's, yeah. Cause that's interesting. Cause you know, you obviously don't write a piece of music in the club. Right. And when I was writing, I was, I was trying to create a certain energy for myself. I was pregnant at the time and um, I needed to feel invincible and free and myself and grounded in, in the kind of almost tribal earthiness of of my sort of power, my female power and trying to keep myself on a mental state that was uplifting and um, fearless because being, becoming a mom is like terrifying. Becoming a mom whilst holding down a full-time career, terrifying. All of these things point to being a superwoman, like, I don't even have like a huge amount of family around me. And so I needed the music to do what it did to me when I was little, which is transport me and take me to a place where everything is like, not only okay, but just like very out of this world.
0: We'll be right back with Aluna to talk more about the impact of mental health and music. All right, we're back, and now we're going to go to our next guest, Aluna, whose new debut album Renaissance has dropped. So, how do you manage motherhood, COVID, and a career?
2: Well, it's, I mean, I was writing that down in my morning pages this morning. I'm not—you're not supposed to share your morning pages. Um, no one's listening. It's just, it's just hundreds no, of, of thousands course. of people. Throw that away. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, I was literally like writing, like, "How am I supposed to do this?" and. Um, I actually just get so much help. I get so much help. I delegate as many things that aren't my direct kind of expertise out as I can, including supporting me. (laughs) I'm not really qualified to support myself because I am already me and completely nuts. So I go against the first instinct to sort of battle through something. And I just go, help. Um, And I've learned that over you know, trying to set goals that are completely unbelievable. And then, you know, you try and make them work. And of course, you need help. Collaboration is key. Um, explaining unapologetically that you can't do it is uh, is very important to communicate to someone how they can help you um, and getting used to it. And, and it's not, and just getting used to the sensation of like thinking, like, am I work? am I a weak person? Should I be doing this by myself?" And then feeling that like moment when someone actually does help you and you're like, "Hell no! <laughs> Why would I do this by myself? That's crazy. That's boring and also self-indulgent.
0: And it's such, I I know you're from the UK, but in America, it's such an American value to try to do everything on your own, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I'm always trying to say, we can also think more community-based. We can think more of a collective, like, let's move more towards that. So I I like that you're inherently allowing that. That's good.
2: Yeah. um, I know that people struggle with asking for help. Yeah. And um, sometimes if you want to get better at it, you can find someone you know who is also bad at asking for help and watch them and notice when you think that they need help
0: like and you'll that.
2: start to learn about what it is that you do and like you just if you break through their thing of not being able to ask you for help from a place of understanding then there's all sorts of learning going on so I've been doing that with like other new mums for example and I'll be like you need me And then you just wait. (laughs) And then they'll be like, no, I need you right now. I'm like, I'm coming, darling. I was already ready with my bag. (laughs) That's beautiful.
0: Um, so I have a question. I've been, I've been dying to ask someone who understands two different markets, and it, ki- it kind of ties into something else you were saying about your music. So, you know, your music is very much a hybrid. Um, it, it doesn't, as you claimed, meet mainstream expectations, and, and I think that's why people love your music. So is there really such a huge difference between UK dance music and American dance music? Because I know that sometimes I found out they've released tracks only in one country and not in the other.
2: Ah, yes, but in uh, around the world, the genre of dance music, mainstream dance music is very narrow compared to the dance music that's out there. So, for example, in the UK, there's lots of different types of dance music that over the years have kind of fallen by the wayside because they were never categorized as mainstream dance music, like drum and bass, like um Grime is like categorized as hip hop, but it's actually kind of dance music. Um, House and Garage never really crossed over to America. Um, But then American, well, dance music, house music techno was created in Chicago and Detroit, then came over to Europe and since then has been completely forgotten uh, in terms of its roots. So then you have the whole kind of European idea of dance music that's sort of classified as white music um and so and there's there's it's it's fascinating i just was kind of like when i was really starting to look at like why it's such a challenge to navigate uh dance music as a black person i was like what's going on you know you've got people saying this type of dance music is not influenced by that type of music dance music and it's like uh, i don't really understand it's it, it's all very segregated and um so there's, there is a big difference. Um, I think that in, a, in the US, EDM kind of became the main association with dance music. And then in Europe, you have people kind of held on to the classics, house and techno uh, and things like that. And um, so a lot of American artists who want to make that type of music will go and tour in Europe. And then the Europeans will deny that <laughs> dance music was created in America. It's, it's very fun, Wonderful.
0: What a world! What a world! Um, and then, quickly before we let you go, um, what are your thoughts about returning to live shows and performance? How how safe do you feel about that? How do you think it might be different? What what do you think is going to be new?
2: Well, I have high expectations for the live show circuit. Uh, not to not about health and safety because that is pretty much um, a given. We're going to do everything we can to make it health and healthy and safe, um, within our knowledge and power. But um, I'm looking for more diversity um, and sort of racial unity in the festival lineups and in the supporting of the festival goers, um, and on digital streaming platforms where it's kind of, you know, the the, the live show uh, play, sort of curators are looking to the playlists. Um, to find out what people are going to enjoy when they go to these festivals. So um, I'm doing lots of kind of behind the scenes work and I've got high hopes. And there's a lot of work to do because these are systems in place that are racially segregated. So it's about education. Then it's about working out what solutions will work and what won't work. And then it's about trying things. And it's, so it's a lot of, action there's a lot of action to be taken there's no there's nothing passive about it you there's there's no there's no win just saying like yeah no I totally agree with you that it would be a great idea it's like no you actually have to do something because things have been the same way for a very very long time and virtually set in stone to the point of you know you know if we decide that actually dance music mainstream dance music should encompass Afrobeats and dance hall like how do we do that in the technical back end of things and how do we do that with the mental shift of like how do we embrace new things into a genre that seems so clearly defined
0: well said well said i'm looking forward to all the necessary changes i you know more to come thank you so much aluna coming up next we'll be sliding into those dms All right, y'all, we're back. Time to slide into those DMs.
2: Sliding into the DMs.
0: Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris. My girlfriend and I broke up after four years. We lived together, and we both agreed that we'd finish out our lease together because of the pandemic, and once it ends in January, we'll go our separate ways. But here's the thing. In all caps, it's a pandemic. She's bringing people over constantly, and they're always different. I feel disrespected, but on top of that, I feel unsafe. I've asked her to stop and she's being petty saying, we broke up, you can't tell me what to do. I've asked our landlord and both of our names are on the lease. So basically, I'd have to pay the rest of my rent to break the lease to move. I'm in Los Angeles and my family's in the Bay so I really can't pack up and go. Is there anything I can do? Yes, yes, there is. Uh, a couple things. Number one, your, your ex is very disrespectful. Probably in her feelings, his or her feelings, her feelings, girlfriend, and um, is acting out. I'm sad to hear that because anyone who's living with anyone else needs to respect their safety and should not be bringing people over. So yes, you should worry. Number two, you can break your lease. Right now, they're not going to follow up on that. Can't quote me on that, but um, you can break your lease. Let her know. You keep bringing people over, I'm out. And then the rent falls on you because right now we're not going to get evicted, but um, I'm going to break my lease and it might raise your lease if she sticks around. So let her know you're bouncing. Um, the, the building company should understand your concern. I'm sorry that they're greedy, but yes, you can bounce. Um, they're not going to evict you and they're not going to be able to hold you responsible. There's too much going on. They're not going to take that to court. Again, don't quote me on that. You might have some especially heinous landlord, but... If they're one of the you know standard human beings on the planet, they're not going to follow up. So your safety needs to come first. So let her know if you continue to do that. And this is not me talking as your ex or your girlfriend. This is me talking as a human beings impacted by bringing people over. If you don't stop, I'm leaving and I will leave you with the lease and you can send in a letter to your landlord, let them know that you're breaking the lease. And then it's on your girlfriend to pay the full rent and say to your ex and say, if that's what you want them out. Bam, handled. Sorry that that's happening, but that's how you handle that. And I'm, I want those that are um, living with others to hear me when I say this: how you treat your ex speaks about your mental health. How you treat your ex is also a red flag for future people you might date. It doesn't speak kindly of you. It shows that you don't have respect for people, and that when a relationship ends, you don't know how to still be a good, loving human being. What shows our mental health and our relational health is typically how we leave a relationship and how we deal with relational disappointment. And her ex is dealing with it poorly and she'll continue to take that forward. You be the better person, but get the heck out of there. It's not a safe environment. You know what I mean? And this is the stuff that bums me out. We have so much love, care, and respect for people. And then when we're disappointed, relationship doesn't work out. We completely give up on all that. You still have a responsibility. You always have a responsibility. Be a better human being. Like, it's so unfair and it's so unkind. I'm sorry that that's happening. I'm sure there were red flags and other signs of this kind of thing, but you're dodging a bullet. This person just doesn't have enough care and compassion. But tell her if she keeps happening, you're out, and you're going to leave her with the full rent, and whatever happens, happens. Um, and, like, your, you know, your rent's up in January, worst case scenario you'd be responsible down the road for those couple months that are left your landlord's not going to come after you for that it would cost more than that landlord's going to get to actually pursue that so bounce and take care of yourself your your ex is a horrible person all right slime the dms is brought to you by our friends at trojan condoms because it's a big old sex world and we want you to explore the confidence question of the night is up so weigh in on that it's always on our loveline ig page in the stories also, old Loveline episodes are podcasted over at wearechannelq.com. So you check out all the old ones. And also, I'm listening live. That is at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on all the radio.com handles. Me interviewing experts. And you can also go check out past episodes. We've had some really good people. And I've been very impressed with the amount of vulnerability and transparency with these celebrities. Really talking about their self-care how they're coping, and just how their mental health is because we're trying to normalize talking about it. We all have mental health struggles, all of us. Yes, everyone's on the continuum with mental health struggles. It's just how much so, how depressed are you? How anxious are you? But we're all on there. We all have that. That's the normalization of mental struggles. Um, There's no such thing as healthy versus mentally ill. We're all on that continuum. We need to get rid of those words. All right, we'll be coming up uh, talking about bisexual erasure. Listening to Love Language Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, now let's go to our next guest, David M. Scholin, LCSW, and the Behavioral Health Services Administrator. How are you? Welcome to the show.
1: I'm doing fine, Dr. Chris. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into some stuff. I was looking at statistics, always a little daunting and a little dark at times, especially right now. We feel like we got enough on our hands. Um, One of the things that stood out to me was in looking at suicide rates. Suicide rates have increased in the past decade, especially for young adults. What do you make of that?
1: Well, I think some recent influences look at how social media and social networking over a course of time has had a greater influence on how we interact with one another. Um, You know, we are social beings, and so our need to connect and to have a a biological connection with other people is is salient, Um, and yet we were never really kind of programmed to evolutionarily have this degree of attention on ourselves at all times. So I think that can be really hard to navigate for anybody, but especially if you're a young person and You're kind of immersed in it. You're surrounded in it.
0: Yeah, thank you for saying that. You're the first guest that has directly brought up social media. And I think it's one of the most under-acknowledged mental health factors that we have right now. I mean, I was sharing that when I put my phone down, it will sometimes tell me how many hours I spent on it, which is horrifying. But when you look at the the volume of hours, we, we have to be looking at how that directly impacts mental health. Yeah, you
1: know, I think it... It means that we're always plugged in, but we're not always connected. You know, people present a certain ideal of who they want other people to see them as in their social media context. But also, you know, when I was growing up, if I was bullied, I could always go home or I could find my immediate circle, uh, my immediate tribe, and they kind of shielded me from that. But if I'm always plugged in into a world that is primarily anonymous, I can't get away from it. Yeah. And if I'm feeling that connected to it, that I can't leave it alone, that I'm going to be missing out on something if I don't have it with me, then I can't escape it. It's always with me.
0: Yeah, and that's why I think we need more social media literacy, right? Because for some, it's a beautiful tool to stay connected, to build community, uh, to not feel so marginalized. But then for others, we kind of doom scroll and we use it against ourselves. You know, there's a lot of heavy, dark things happening. We're not trying to deny that, but we're also recognizing that you can find some joy and pleasure amongst all that's going on around us. And in fact, our mental health requires that. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about special populations. Uh, people maybe from the LGBTQIA population, uh, they might not necessarily always feel connected. They might not feel like they have community. What are the mental health needs that we want to really zero in and on with those uh, populations?
1: Yeah, um, I am a gay man and I am now a gay man of a certain age. And so I've I got my history to rely upon in addition to my academia. And I always tell folks, I wish when I was 19 years old, somebody would have pulled me aside and helped me understand Meyer's theory of minority stress because it would have made complete sense to me and that I wasn't going crazy in my life, that I was experiencing this additional level of stress that I wasn't consciously aware of. Um, one of those things, some of that is on the surface, things that we anticipate like discrimination or prejudice. But other things are a little bit more internal, like the stress of concealment. In what environments do I have to hide who I am who do I have to hide myself from? Am I vigilant towards who understands who I am and who is kind of sizing me up and have they figured me out? That degree of vigilance at all times puts me in a different mode in a different space. The other is anticipated rejection. So if I am going to come out to somebody or if I'm going to identify myself to somebody, there are some folks who aren't going to accept that very well and others who may embrace me. But I have to essentially size it up. I have to make a hypothesis and guess on um, that whether or not I'm going to be rejected or not. Like if I'm at the water cooler, do I mention that I went out that weekend with my husband or do I just say I went out that weekend? <laughs> so it's it's figuring out how other people might react. And the fourth element of that is internalized negative messaging. I always tell people I wasn't raised as a straight man. I was ra- I wasn't raised as a gay man, I was raised as a straight one. And so all of those dominant cultural messages regarding what it means to be gay, especially that can even be applied generationally or regionally or within one's faith community, you add all of those together and we internalize those. Those become the popular messaging that help define who we are. And if I don't consciously address those, it's like in my own journey, I had to consciously address issues regarding my faith and issues regarding my masculinity before I could accept and fully resolve negative messages regarding being a gay person. So I think it's that same journey, Uh, whether you're coming out when you're 12 or whether you're coming out when you're 50. You have to kind of look at those messages and find where you fit in the middle of them and still ascertain a healthy identity of who you are.
0: Wow, beautifully said. And I want to, you know, just put a little pressure on our hetero identified listeners that, you know, homophobia, transphobia, all these things are created and sustained by you know, the heterosexual world and everyone can play a role in trying to dismantle some of those pressures that you just talked about.
1: Well, and we internalize those within the LGBT community ourselves. So even though that may originally came from an outsider's perspective of who we are and how we define ourselves, um, we have internalized those in many cases. We were raised with those messages. And so in some cases you'll see internal infighting within community, um, some of my trans friends say some of the biggest or most difficult cir- circumstances they had to face were from, from gay men um, or from lesbian women who were cisgendered. But you know, we're all in this same community with these series of letters and each one of those letters is a separate community. And so without having a consciousness regarding perpetuating that internally, it's also kind of self-fulfilling in some ways, but that we keep damaging each other um, instead of being able to to create that kind of greater safety within our community.
0: Oh, I love the way you just said that. Anyone that feels, you know, marginalized and exploited, yeah, community is what they most need. So let's make community actually safe for people to, excuse me, participate in. I I, I love that. Um, And just before we close out, are there any other factors you're worried about right now, whether it's tied to the politics of what's happening, COVID in terms of mental health?
1: I think all of it, Um, you know, we live in a gestalt. Every little moment that's going on at the same time factors into how we experience the world and we experience ourselves. But with COVID in particular, with LGBT communities, especially people who are dependent upon others, whether that's because of youth or because of income or because you lost your job, um, in environments where you're not out or because you are out and that's punished, if that's at home, you now really have fewer places to escape and receive support. So if I'm sequestered at home, if I'm on a lockdown at home and my parents don't accept me for who I am, that just raises the tension for that particular family, for that particular child, um, that in the past they may have been able to let some of that pressure and steam go by going out to the community or hanging out with friends or even going to school or to work if those environments were more supportive. And now those are shut down in most cases. So I think it's it's also recognizing that um, LGBT youth in particular or, or LGBT dependents in particular uh, may be actually at increased risk during this time period if their support system was not within their own household.
0: Thank you so much, David Sholin. You can catch more of Aluna and David on I'm Listening, our mental health show that airs every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific on Radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back and uh, we're going to talk about bisexual erasure. It's amazing what we'll believe. We can send someone to the moon. We're like, yeah, we know, we get it, we've seen it. Um, We'll hear horrific stories of, you know, trigger warning, parental parental stuff here, but... uh, parents will shove their kids in the car and drive it into a lake. We believe all these wild things, but someone's like, oh, I like all genders. And people are like, I don't know about that. Now we're familiar with women. We let women explore. And if a woman's with another woman then comes back to identify as hetero still, we're like, okay, we welcome you back. But if anyone engages a penis, you are a penis lover forever. If if someone who's male identified wants to try being with the same gender, we're like, "Mm, sorry, you're not allowed to come back. You can't claim heterosexuality after that. It's wild how stigmatizing that is. We just don't believe it. People that are bisexual always like, mm, but they're secretly gay, huh? It is so discouraging and disappointing. And um, being in a same sex relationship doesn't mean you're not bi. Being in an opposite relationship doesn't mean you're not bi. And I love this article. Uh, Dad came out saying his name is Luce Oakley, and um, he's a bi campaigner. And um, he says, look, I have children. And even though I have a wife, and um, I'm in a heterosexual relationship, I'm still bi. And I'm going to make sure I raise my kids knowing that their father's bi. Their father likes all genders. And that's how we don't let it become something that's stigmatized or not believed. So essentially he's saying you need to stay out of the closet. And he says he will. He says, one thing is clear. Having a child is not going to send me back into the closet. My opposite sex relationship and child will add to bi erasure in doing so. Outsiders assume I'm straight and I'm going to fight that. I love that, and that's why I'm always talking about my own sexual fluidity. You know, there's our our sexual identity and our romantic identity. We sometimes will will only relationship with a different gender that we're interested in sexually, and vice versa. But you know, I've been with every gender expression, literally every gender expression. I really define as queer, or sexually fluid. That's really the most honest self definition. Um, But I love this. And he said, you know, look, strangers are going to meet me and they'll make an assumption, but it's not true. And I correct people. And he said, if I can't be honest with my kids, then I'm raising children in a, in a biphobic homophobic environment. And I agree with that. Biphobia, homosexuality, none of those things, there's nothing wrong with that. We should acknowledge them, talk about them. And if a parent is bi or pansexual or whatnot, share that, let your kids know, Hey, mom, mom's into all genders. Dad's in all genders. Gay people exist. Trans people exist. Bi people exist. Queer people exist. We have to normalize it, get people familiar hearing it and see. So I love anyone in a hetero couple with children saying, I'm bi, and they talk about it. Doesn't make you straight by default. And it doesn't need to be dramatic. It's not throwing anything in anyone's face. It's living proudly and living honestly. You know, And that's that's what the work looks like. And so I absolutely, absolutely love that and support that. And we need to do more of that. Because again, the work isn't about coming out of the closet. It's removing the closet. If we stop assuming everyone's straight or even cisgendered until proven otherwise, then we don't put the labor on trans, fluid, or bi or gay people to come out. It's not fair for them to have to do that. Let's stop assuming. When you meet someone, just say, are you in a relationship? How's your partner? Let's not assume straight until otherwise, right? And bigger than that, the work is actually not coming out of the closet, it's inviting someone into your life. When we tell someone about our gender expression, our gender identity, our sexuality, we're inviting them in, we're sharing, them, we're sharing with them more of who we are, and that's a really valuable thing that we should really honor and respect. And finally, I want to kind of switch gears over to another topic, and this one's about, you know, kind of pushing forward into this exact topic, how do we bring someone more into our lives? And one of the questions that comes in, we haven't gotten in a while in the DMs, and just in general is how do I kind of bring my partner more into my creative, diverse sexuality, which for some people they call it fetish or kink. I call it just diversity and creativeness because we all are. We're all more diverse and creative than we let on, but we don't feel safe because we live in a very stigmatizing culture and people are afraid of being seen as bad, dirty, perverted. We all are. Very few people have a truly vanilla basic sexuality. That's the minority. That's about 20% of us. And when someone invites you in and tells you more about themselves, honor that, value that. That's intimacy building. That's someone wanting to be more known by you. That's an act of care and love, not something to shame. So we talk about this kind of stuff endlessly because it's really about reducing the pressure, guilt, and shame that we carry, especially with someone who is our sexual outlet. For those that are in a monogamous relationship, remember, your partners are only sexual option. And so if they have the bar dropped low and a lot of sexual anxiety, well, you're limited by that. And so how can we expand and push on that? Well, by coming out fully to our partners around our gender identity, our sexual identity, our kink identity, we shouldn't be in relationships to limit ourselves, right? We don't get into partnerships so our lives can be limited. We don't get into partnerships so we have this other that can reflect back shame about who we are, right? And when people are single, they're more willing to take risks with, them, with individuals because they don't know them. They don't. They don't. Ha- their opinion doesn't have as much weight. There's not going to be an ongoing awareness that they know who we are. But when we get into more committed relationship, it gets more fragile, right? We don't want to lose them. How they feel about us has more meaning. And so we start withholding. But that's how we limit intimacy. And that's how we start to put pressure. And that's why we start to sometimes act our sexuality out outside of our partner. Because it's not safe to bring it in. But the work should be being known more. And being with someone, it should be about creating a safer container. And so start disclosing early on. Start disclosing through the whole relationship. And that's really a way we challenge our partner's maturity, their love for us, and how safe this container of commitment and trust really is, right? We test it by pushing on those boundaries. And so when a partner comes to you to share with you who they are in terms of their gender, maybe they want to come out as trans or gender fluid. Maybe they want to try exploring a more fluid gender expression. Hold that container for them. Love them. Want the best for them. Say, I welcome that. I'm part of supporting that. If you find out that they have a more diverse creativity or sexuality than you realize because of stumbling upon their porn browser or whatever it is, support them that you know be the kind of person that they can go to and share these things with you don't be the kind of person that isn't safe to be gone to because you're judgmental and shaming and how you comment on other people out in the world they're hearing you and they're hearing what your limits are and if you're shaming other people's gender expression sexuality body shape or size you're saying to them I'm not safe for you to come to me about those things and you want to be that's the sign of a good partnership that's the sign of a strong partnership that's a sign of a relationship that's sustainable so pay attention to that that stuff matters um all right coming up coming up next we got the question of the night so still some time to win on that that's on our ig page in the stories and then we're going to close out the show at dm so we'll be back in two minutes that two minute promise you're listening to love line with dr chris on the new channel q and radio.com all right y'all we're back it's time for question of the night according to cosmo the side of the bed you sleep on says a lot about your personality. Bum, 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 bum. Let's oh, going to get good. Left side says more cheerful, capable of carrying heavy work. Enjoy stressful days. Enjoy stressful days. That's an odd comment. They're calmer. person who sleeps on the right side is more sleepy. They're a procrastinator. They're prepared for worst-case scenarios, less positive and stressful situations. Okay, this is really stupid (laughs) and ridiculous, Um, but we're gonna go with it. I I used to sleep on the left side, now I sleep more on the right side, but when I'm in a relationship sharing a bed, I go back to the left side. What does that mean? That means I am a very comprehensive, well-rounded person with all attributes. Thank you, I'll take that, very holistic. Uh, So 50% of people are right-sided and 50% are left-sided. And I want to know if that's contextual. Is there a difference when you're by yourself versus when someone's in the bed with you? And does the person who's in the bed with you matter? Because again, like I said, I normally go right for the left when sharing a bed. When I'm on my own, I go more to the right. What is that about? Interesting stuff. First person said, wow, this is spooky. Accurate for me and my partner. Bam! All right. Because again, remember, left side, more cheerful, enjoys more cheer... Left side is... Left side is um, more cheerful and calmer. Right side is sleepier and a procrastinator, less positive, stressful situations. <laughs> Some people are like, I think I'm going to flip sides and <laughs> I'm going to become more of that person. Um, somebody else said, Wow, literally so accurate. Wait, you guys are blowing my mind as I call this stupid. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something more to this than Dr. Chris realizes. Somebody else said, I mean, I sleep across both sides, so definitely cheerful, but always prepared for the worst. See, I find this stuff so fascinating because I don't know what the study was really looking at when they were assessing this. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's interesting to me but that's why we got to take these studies with a grain of, grain of salt. You'll read some things, you'll be like, wow, that's dead on. And others are like, yeah, not at all. And so be very thoughtful. This doesn't have to be destiny, but these kind of things can be really interesting. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things about like if one finger is longer than the other. What were some of the other ones? I remember the different finger lengths. God, I can't remember the other ones, but I remember when I was a kid, there were so many quote unquote tests. And uh, that's one of them. Which side are you on? It kind of in my mind rolls into the astrology stuff a little bit, you know what I mean? If you guys know some of those other, tests send them into the dms for love line i want to hear what they are because there's ones around it's supposed to define your sexual orientation all sorts of wild things based on like there's the birth order stuff there's like the different finger sizes now apparently there's a side of bed that you sleep on i love the world i also love when i look at some of the studies and i'm like you needed to do a big study to determine that we already knew that not to knock science at all but sometimes it's a little ridiculous but i love that one it's a little bit also like some of those um astrology things we said all right that's our question tonight as always that's up on our loveline ig page in the stories weigh in on that i love you i love you all that participate and are vulnerable i love you too that's funny i saw a meme and i'm gonna start doing more of this where it said i love you and it might sound strange to hear someone that you don't know tell you i love you but if we can hate people that we don't know and we've never met then we can also love people that we don't know and we've never met and i thought what a beautiful point, and I'm trying to practice that. People will literally hate entire genders, sexual expressions, races, classes of people. Never met them, don't know them. We even see it on online dating. Ruling out entire races, we'll never date them. I'm not attracted to them. Don't haven't seen them, haven't met them, but they already know offhand. Okay, why can't we then love people we've never met deeply, right? Which challenges a lot of social norms. Uh, that meme where a professor claimed you can only love one person in your life. That's not true. We can love multiple multiple people. There's so much love to give. But let's just start loving people, loving people we don't know we've never met them. I decided this year, I wanna be one of those people where when, when someone cuts me off or struggles or something or whatever it is, I wanna to go to the positive perspective. Maybe they're in a rush. I hope they didn't have a bad day, right? If the waitress is rude, clearly she's having a rough day. She needs more love, care, and support, not someone to further make her day worse by leaving her no tip or angry message. Smile. You know, if people are struggling, they need help. And we love saying, oh, go get help. You need help. Well, then help them. If someone's having a rough day, they're in a bad mood, they're cranky, help them. Smile. Be kind to them. That's what they need most. People that are roughing it out, they're you know it's a tough time. They need care, love, and support. So let's be there for people. Anyway, that's my little tidbit. All right, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, time to slide into those DMs.
2: Sliding into the DMs.
0: Dear Dr. Chris, I'm in love with my male best gay friend. I identify as queer and I'm a woman. We've been developing a friendship for the last eight months. We have the same career and we work in the same building. For a while, we got into a fight and stopped talking. During that time, I would cry myself to sleep, which makes me realize that I really do love and care for him. My question is, can you be in love with your best friend and enjoy all the emotional, intimate benefits of the friendship and not want it to be sexual? And should I tell him about how I'm feeling? Okay. So, you know, we try to imagine these hard lines between, you know, social, emotional connection, romantic, emotional connection, feelings of being in love or loving and there's no hard line and those can ebb and flow and there's a lot of gray area. These are concepts. Love and attraction and intimacy don't fall in these hard-lined boxes. We can't compartmentalize the way we like to like friend, lover. There's so much room in between and fluidity. So yes, you can be in love with a friend and not want sexuality with them. And that that's broken down we talk about people's romanticism or sexuality. You can be bisexual where you're interested in sex with all genders, but hetero romantic where you only date and relationship with the opposite gender, but sexually you're open to all of them. You can meet, and and that's that's what's confusing some people, but they're two separate processes. What we romantically seek can be centered around one gender and sexually can be very different. Right? I tend to be very sexually fluid, but I'm very romantically specific. I tend to only date and relationship with one gender expression, but sexually I'm more fluid and pan. And those are two distinct processes, right? And so yes, you can be in love with your best friend and not necessarily want or enjoy sexuality. We also see that in the asexual world. Where they're not interested in sexual energy or sexual participation inherently, but yet they're very open to other, other levels of intimacy and their needs are very met. And we see that in mixed orientation marriages. Is, where sometimes one partner's fluid or even gay and their other partner is hetero. So let's use a rough example. The woman could be lesbian and the male's hetero and they're together. A lot of emotional and social intimacy, but the sexual energy or chemistry or participation isn't there. And they're happy with that. That can work for some people. Very diverse, creative ways of being. So sure, be in love with your best friend. That can add some beauty, but you're gonna have to put the boundaries around it because if your partner is truly gay identified, uh, romantically and sexually, they're not going to reciprocate. And I don't want that to build resentment or frustration. I don't want you to act out jealousy um, if they're dating or in a relationship with someone else. So the question is really on you. Are you healthy enough to be able to hold those boundaries? Are you healthy enough to bump into those limits and not be angry or resentful? You're healthy enough to not push and expect more. And if not, and if you can do the work, then be in love. And honor all the benefits and be loving and supportive of this person's attempts to be sexual and relational in the world with others. If you can hold both, all's well, and that's beautiful. Should you tell him? Absolutely not. There's nothing for him to gain from that. There's nothing for him to know from that. The only reason why you'd want to tell him is for him to possibly consider giving you some of that romanticism or sexuality. And if that's not what he's looking for, you could possibly lose the relationship by overwhelming him, stressing him out, or confusing him. So honor the boundary And uh, sometimes we withhold our true feelings in that respect. So as to be able to maintain this relationship, I don't know that there's anything he needs to know in that, right? And so again, like I said, if you can in maturity, if you can be mature enough to understand the boundaries and what's available and show up just to that, we're good. But what can happen is sometimes when people want a little bit more is they're not able to show up as a friend, which means hearing stories about this person's dating life and sexual life without being jealous or resentful. And that's what I worry most, because then that just makes the relationship really not be able to exist. So yeah, if this person means that much to you, work it out. And I would land and end with the best way for you to be able to actually manage this is if you yourself got into a relationship. If you're dating someone you like, and you're also having sex with someone you like, then you're going to take that pressure off this friend of yours because that needs getting met, and then they can just be that close, intimate friend that you have love for. And that kind of love is beautiful. I want everyone to have that kind of love for people in their lives. Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. That's our show. Oh, man, we'll be back on Monday. So please spend this weekend centered in self-care, joy and pleasure, and rest. That's what your weekend should be built on. And check out old episodes of Loveline. Maybe pick up my books, Sex Outside the Lines and Rebel Love. Interesting stuff. and like, Be like doing a little therapy on yourself. We'll be back on Monday, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. And as always, Loveline's podcast at wearechannelq.com. Thanks for hanging out with me. And you all have a beautiful, beautiful night.